Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, it's Friday the 13th, a day that, at least in Western superstition, tangles with our fear of unknown forces. So, Glenn Washington joins us, host of the podcast Spooked, a show about the, quote, true-life supernatural stories told firsthand by people who barely believe it themselves. This hour, we'll talk about why we're drawn in by ghost stories, what they reflect about our deepest fears or questions, and how they force us to reconsider what we think we know. Have you ever had something happen to you that you couldn't explain? We want to hear about it after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Snap Judgment's Glenn Washington is also host of the podcast Spooked, which features people sharing their firsthand experiences with supernatural forces, like seeing a secret nickname by a deceased boyfriend somehow spelled out on a Ouija board, or an imaginary friend that also leaves footprints. This hour, we'll share stories from the Spooked Archive and explore the value of a good ghostly tale. Do you tell ghost stories in your family? What are some that have been handed down to you? Have you or someone you know ever had an encounter with a spirit or ghost or the unknown? You can tell us at 866-733-6786 by posting at KQED Forum on our social channels or by emailing forum at kqed.org. Glenn Washington joins me now. Welcome to Forum, Glenn. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Oh, it's great to have you. You have called Spooked, a podcast which is dedicated to recounting people's spooky, inexplicable experiences as something you kind of accidentally fell into. Why? Accidentally in that, you know, we, at Snap Judgment, we get to the Halloween season. It's like, what are we going to do? And there's stories that we have maybe don't fit a certain mold, certain stories that um, we normally wouldn't put on Snap. And we thought, here is the chance. Let's just go on ahead and tell the stories about the sounds that go bump in the night, about the things that um, make us look over our shoulder. And we did it for the very first season of Snap Judgment. Um, And the response, you know, I've had these stories personally that I didn't understand and um, I think everyone's got maybe a couple and I just put them out there and it felt like we tapped into this huge wellspring 
people came out of the woodwork to tell us what happened to them. And it became an annual thing. And we decided finally, you know what, let's go on ahead and make a show out of it. And that's where Spook came from. Yeah, I think you're getting at why you had that kind of reaction, why people are hungry for these kinds of things, why they find it compelling. Maybe we've all had those experiences, but what else do you think contribute to that? I think that a lot of this, I I don't want to get too analytical about it because everyone loves a good story, but I really think that we have, especially in kind of a secular society, we've lost the space to talk about the things that matter. And, you know, the thing of it is, people's always a ghost story, and it's almost a dismissive thing. But people make huge decisions about what someone else might consider a ghost story. Who to marry, where to live, um, what to do with your world based on these things, because the ghost stories are talking about the biggest things there are. What happens on the other side? Where did granny go? Yeah. What, what am, what am I looking forward to? The big questions we only talk about in ghost stories. And so I think it gives a form to talk about the things that matter. Well, we already have people calling in to share their sort of inexplicable encounters or ghost stories. And we've got Tom in Mill Valley on the line. Tom, join us. Good morning. Good morning, Nina and Glenn. Uh, Yeah, first of all, let me preface by saying I'm a non-believer. I'm an original Doubting Thomas. Um, But (laughs) I I live near Point Reyes Station, and I was a member of an art group, and we got permission to spend the night at the Coast Guard Rescue Station. Well, this has been around for over 100 years, and, of course, they would rescue uh, boats that were capsized off the shore from foreign countries and so on. So we all had, like, different bunk rooms, and I was hearing in the middle of the night children running up and down the aisle, and I kept hearing foreign accents. And I thought, oh, it's just a dream. So I woke up in the morning, and I went down to the kitchen where everyone was meeting, and I said, hey, I heard some really strange things last night. And everyone really looked at me like, oh, my God, have you talked to Victoria? And I said, well, no. And I told her the story, and she says, I also heard kids running up and down the hall in foreign accent, and the kids got into bed with me. Oh. And my body just turned chilled. It's like, oh, my God, I don't believe this stuff, but how do you explain that? I mean, I, they, the, shared, the shared experience. Yeah. Oh, Tom, thanks for that. Thanks, Tom. It sort of gets at what you're saying there, Glenn, about we have these sort of unrelenting questions about, I don't know, the afterlife, what happens to people after they die. Yeah, Mina, it seems what what this is. I mean, I, I think let me just preface this saying I don't have any answers. I don't have any belief systems on it. I don't know anything more than anybody else. I just think that what these stories do is challenge the map that you have of the universe. People think the world works in a certain way. We all have these fixed things that this is how things go, and every once in a while. You slide into a place where the rules don't seem to apply the same way they have before. And, you know, that's um, I don't have a a space to say this is bad. This is good. This is weird, whatever it may be. Um, I just want to give a forum to acknowledge it ain't just me that's had some of this stuff happen to him. And again, I don't know what it is. 
Yeah. I know what's going on. And I loved hearing Tom sort of preface by saying, I am not a believer. Right. And that's the thing, you know, when you hear a story on Spooked, it's not going to come from somebody with a witch's hat and a bunch of crystals with a bunch of beads and stuff like that. I need a cop. <laughs> I need a nurse. The best stories come from the some, someone who says, look, um, you're not going to believe this. Because I don't know. I for sure I do. But the person who's scared to tell their own story, the person who's never told it to anybody else. That's the story we want to hear on Spooked. Well, let's hear a clip from a story on Spooked that I think is really illustrative of that. It's um, it's a clip from a piece called A Friend in the Forest, where there is a social worker, right? He's called in to talk with a little boy, Gregory Finnegan, who keeps running into the woods behind his home and claiming he's spending a lot of time there with a playmate named Thomas that Gregory will not let any adults meet. I'd worked an awful lot with kids who were habitual runaways and they're either running to something or they're running away from something. I felt that this was a very lonely, very isolated little family. You know, the dad, um, he had left them. The mom was working three jobs. He was lonely. So I thought it was absolutely normal and reasonable for Gregory to create a little playmate for himself. Gregory has an imaginary friend. Before leaving the Finnegans that evening, Shane told the mom to start inviting Gregory's friends over or have him join a soccer club or youth group. Anything to get him an outlet so that he doesn't feel the need for this. And I reckon that the running away and the imaginary friend will disappear. About two weeks later, just, I think it's over the lunch break actually that I got the phone call. And it was from a police officer who immediately said you've been doing some work with the Finnegans or the mum said you might have some input into what's happened Gregory had disappeared the night before the cops didn't find him until the next morning miles away from home in the thick of the woods Gregory said he'd been playing hide and seek with Thomas and that Thomas was still nearby but the cops found no trace of the boy well except for one thing When they got back to Gregory's house, they searched the area outside his window. And they discover two sets of footprints. (laughs) So then, of course, it creates these questions like, could Thomas be real, not an imaginary friend, or some kind of ghost? And actually, we have a listener, Wallace, who tweets, why do we always talk about ghosts as being bad or evil? When did this start in Western civilization? In other countries, ghosts and spirits are respected and thought of as being good or neutral. So, Glenn, I would love to hear your thoughts on ghosts based on all of this stuff that you've delved, delved into and heard people talk about. Yeah. Um, I. It's interesting the comment, um, ghosts being neutral, because, um, yeah, I don't have any automatic negative association with them. And I think a lot of the power of the stories that you'll hear on Spooked is they come from all over the world. And people bring their own sort of cultural biases to their experience of the supernatural. Um, About ghosts, what is a ghost? A ghost is oftentimes 
oftentimes, and there's no universal rule for any of this, but it's oftentimes someone who has an incomplete story. Uh, for whatever reason, something important didn't get finished. And you no, know, we're looking at ghosts through the prism of the people who are actually here, who are not ghosts. And a ghost oftentimes is a mystery. Why are you in this purgatory? And how can I help you get to wherever it is you're supposed to go? And so when you see the ghost, the hope, the almost invariably, you've got to figure out the person feels compelled to figure out what happened and what can I do for that entity? Now, again, there's a million different ways to go about this, but it's an involvement. And what we love on Spooked is I don't you know, Granny saw a ghost in the closet. That doesn't do a lot for me. What I love is people who have relationships with these entities where multiple people have their own individual situation with an entity over time. And you have it. You have families. You have business partners. You've got people who everyone's got a little bit of this puzzle and they're all trying to figure it out together or apart. And I just, I love, I love this, this secret, this, uh, this, this fellowship that often happens around these entities. Yeah. Which I think you're touching on one of the things that really gets at why these stories are valuable in a lot of ways. They are, a point of connection. We're talking with Glenn Washington, host and executive producer of the podcast Spooked. And hearing from you listeners, if you've ever had something happen to you that you couldn't explain or a time when you got spooked or freaked out. And also sort of speaking with skeptics and non-believers as well as maybe believers, have you felt pressure to dismiss an experience that you think could have maybe been supernatural? Stay with us for more after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about spirits, superstitions, and stories that make us question what we think we know on this Friday the 13th with Glenn Washington, host and executive producer of the podcast Spooked. You may know him best from Snap Judgment. And if you're at the Bay Area, there's a Spooked live event tonight at the Fox Theater in Oakland. So you'd be able to experience oh, this. Oh, my goodness. Mina, this is going to be a Spooked extravaganza. Um, come on down. Spook like you've never seen it before, heard it before. And tell us, listeners, if you have ever had something happen to you that you couldn't explain anything you want to ask or tell Glenn Washington, you can email forum at kqed.org, call us at 866-733-6786, or post on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Let me go to caller Corey in San Francisco. Hi, Corey. You're on. Hi, I was uh, at a university retreat from the University of um, Aberdeen in Scotland up in the Highlands in this house that had been owned by the university for like hundreds of years. And um, we were up late uh, playing cards and I saw, but not see, like that's the wrong word because I didn't see it with my eyes. It's like if you feel a table with your eyes closed, you picture what the table looks like. So I, I kind of, my mind constructed this image of this man in a robe with sideburns, glasses in his pocket, you know, in his mid-50s for that time, kind of looking at us disapprovingly, like, what are you doing in our house? Um, and at some point, like, he stayed there, like, for forever, and I eventually had to go past him on the staircase, and he just kind of quietly followed me up. It was It was really creepy, to say the least, but what was really interesting is the next morning, I was, like, asking the people who were the, the caretakers of this house, you know, has there ever been a ghost sighting? Can you tell me about the history of the house? And they showed me this book with portraits of people who had lived there. And I saw one. I'm like, well, that looks like him, but he's like in his 30s. Well, I read the history of the guy. He died when he was 50, 55 or 56, I forget now. Hmm. And he killed himself over the conflict between religion and science and not being able to resolve them. And he killed himself in the house. Whoa. It's almost crazy that Corey is telling us the story about somebody who committed suicide because I literally have pulled up another clip from Spooked that deals with a group of friends who get together at a party in the Hollywood Hills and they just sort of improvise a Ouija board because they're kind of bored, like with a glass and by cutting out letters. And they wind up conversing with a spirit that happens to be one of the girls in the group's deceased ex-boyfriend who, in fact, killed himself. Let, let's hear it. My poor friend Christy was completely devastated. Meanwhile, the glass repeated several times, I love you, and then, I'm sorry. I was just so... Uh almost frozen, just paralyzed inside my own head, thinking all these thoughts, you know, is this really him? Why did he die? How come nobody could help him? Um, how much I missed him? I feel like he just needed to, to be heard again, you know? I know this sounds crazy, but I, I believe he was talking to us, me. I think the beauty of his story is not that it is a ghost story, is that it's a love story, and that someone was able to reach beyond 
the divide and tell someone for the last time I love you. Even Romeo and Juliet didn't get that. Mina, I want to talk a little bit about this story um, because what it really is about is a supernatural love triangle. Mm. This was several people um, came together and one woman, our protagonist boyfriend, got into a psychic battle with the entity that was being communicated with through the Ouija board, um, who turned out to be the woman's former boyfriend. And you hear them all talk about this story. It sounds, you know, you put it out like that, it sounds crazy. But again, it's one of those things. Um, Dismiss it if you want to. Every single person who experienced that story collectively together is forever impacted by what they saw go down. And, and that's, those are the things that matter. This is a story that changed their map of the world. And a lot of them you know, at first don't want to talk about it. But when you coax them, you see these, this wild look like, I, don't, I can't explain this and that. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, um, these aren't people who are jumping um, in front of microphones and cameras to be on some kind of Ghostbusters show. These are people who oftentimes would rather remain silent, and I love that they open up for us. You know what else I loved about this story is that it gets at what I find is fairly a frequent sort of common thread in people's encounters with the supernatural. So, for example, the two people that I'm close to who had sort of inexplicable encounters were related to loved ones who had died. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on why that seems to show up again and again, um, that when people do have this experience, someone in their life has recently passed. Yeah, I I don't know, but I, I will. What you said makes a lot, has a real resonance with me. It just seems that, I mean, we're talking about ghosts now, but let me broaden it a little bit. Yeah. Um, these instances, these paranormal, whatever it may be, they, they don't just happen randomly. It happens um, oftentimes in times of stress, um, in times of, of import. And the people who are having them are really going through something. The stories we tell on Spooked, yeah, they have a supernatural element, but oftentimes they're really about someone's monster. And who your monster is changes, who you're, depending on where you're coming from, depending on your gender, depending on what your background is. But you have someone in a moment of stress, and that's when the thing happens. Um, are we causing it? Does it show up then? Are we attuned to things in a different way when we're under stress? I think that's you know for the listener to decide. Well, speaking of listeners, let me go to listener Holly in Sebastopol. Holly, you're on. Well, hello there. Um, 
I'm sorry to follow up on some of this heavy stuff, but um, my experience happened in uh, the late 80s. I was working at um, Hoover House, which is the residence of the pre- president of the university at Stanford University. And a, f- a colleague and I were cleaning up after a large dinner party. And uh, the guests had gone home. It was about an hour after the party had ended. And um, as I was cleaning up, I heard the sounds of a party going on in the dining room. I could hear people chattering. I could hear glasses clinking. I could hear the cutlery uh, as if people were um, eating or were dining in there. And I, it, it really bothered me because I was trying to get out of there. And I thought, what the heck are they doing? There's, why are there people still in there? Mm. I had no inkling of anything supernatural at all. And so I was going to you know, go out there and see, see what was going on. And as I moved through the kitchen and the butler's pantry to these double doors that go into this, this large dining room, I could hear the sounds getting louder and louder and like, and I was getting more and more irritated. And as I opened the doors, bang, just like that, the sound stopped instantly. There was nobody in there. It was completely empty. And, uh, so then that made me just want to, and then, you know, I had that whole, the, the, proverbial hairs rise on the back of my neck. And then I went, Oh yeah, this is really weird. (laughs) And uh, we got out of there. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the fact that you were so certain that it was happening, that you were actually getting annoyed by these people who were, you know, hanging out way too long for for the party. Um, Well, Renee writes, my grandfather saw La Llorona, the weeping woman in Mexico, when he was five years old bathing near a river. He saw a crying woman with her back turned, and when he went to comfort her with a hand on her shoulder, she turned to him, and she had no face. He was so scared he couldn't talk for a long time, and his family had to call in a curandera, I think, to cure him, if I'm saying that correctly. I treasure this story and pass it on because, though creepy, it connects my children who are now fourth-generation Americans to a shared cosmology with their ancestors. Although I am a secular agnostic person, I have never doubted this story and love listening to Spooked because I know there are things we cannot explain. I myself have had prescient psychic dreams of things happening to friends or family that a short time later come true. Yeah. You know, on the Spook Podcast, you do, Glenn, tell your own personal stories of your own brushes with just the inexplicable. And and I, I want to play one right now. This is This is you walking in rural Michigan. Our farm was in rural Michigan, surrounded by woods and swampland. And when my parents screaming inside our trailer grew too loud, those woods were great. To get lost in. I'd follow animal trails through the brush, beat back swarms of biting flies, knowing that no one else in the history of time had ever cut through as far or dug in as hard ever. Till one day, deep along an almost trail, I came across a well. And this well, made of crumbling brick set into a circle, had the heavy metal lid sealing it from the top and I thought I could lift it maybe have a drink of water when I heard a knock clear as that bright summer day a knock from inside the well as if someone inside wanted to get out and I sat 
and heard the knock again and again. But no, of course, I didn't lift that lid. Instead, I I backed away. I turned and I ran home, didn't tell anyone. Still, I trekked back out there the next day and heard the knocking again. More frantic, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Hello? Hello? And again, I did nothing. But then the next day, I made the trek all alone, sweating under the sweltering Michigan sun. And once again, I sat to wait on the sound. But this time, I heard nothing. I strained, pushed up close against the well. Nothing. 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 Even then it was so hot. And I was so thirsty. But I knew inside... This well was water that I would never drink. <laughs> um, I'm struck by your description earlier about how maybe moments of anxiety create these kinds of experiences for for us. And, and of course, at the very beginning of that clip, you describe, you know, when the fighting got too loud, right, between your parents, you went on this walk and, and you ended up having this encounter. I, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the way you grew up, because I don't know if everybody knows this. It's very fascinating. You grew up in a very rural, very white part of Michigan, and that you were also a member of what you describe as an apocalyptic cult. An apocalyptic, end of days, white supremacist Jesus cult. Yes. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. And so, yeah, the, the growing up for me, um, these things were real in our community. Um, when I say these things, I mean like angels, demons, ghosts, witches, powers, healings. I grew up in a community where that was very, very real. And the stories around them bound us together. Um, and so it wasn't odd. It wouldn't be odd for someone to say, I saw a ghost or I saw something or whatever it may be, that wouldn't have been particularly weird. Um, You might have to get an exorcism or prayed over or a blessing or something, but the fact of the entity itself wouldn't be particularly off-putting. And, you know, I... (laughs) I think a lot of my growing up was kind of a lucid dream. Hmm. But then I think about certain things I just can't explain away. Certain things I saw, just um, those little, it keeps that that constant itch in the back. Wow, what happened? What was that about? How did that go down? Because I think I'm more on the side of the caller who called in earlier. I'm probably a 
extremely agnostic, um, don't really believe in anything type person. Um, show me, prove it to me. I'm, um, you know, probably a Bay Area liberal in that way. But at the same time, I can't get these memories out of my mind. Yeah. Which may explain why you are open to these kinds of things. But the other thing, as you describe, you walked away from this cult, right? You you are not a believer. You You decided that this was not right for you. And I just wonder if part of your openness to this, too, is the fact that when you were in that sort of apocalyptic worldwide Church of God cult situation, you were told a very specific reality about the world. And then when you left, I imagine you must have confronted something that completely changed that whole notion. Yeah. You know, when walking out, I I was was a true believer until my late teens. And I remember when I decided to leave and I was walking away from it and I, I was confident in that decision. I thought these people have maybe lost their minds, but at the same time, I wondered if lightning was going to come down and strike me, if the ground was going to start quaking that I'd, I, I was supposedly, um, I, I thought I grew up thinking, and this is probably a lot of it. I grew up thinking that I was specially called, specially chosen, one of a very select few to have the special understanding of the books of revelations and things of this nature. I was one of the very few chosen specifically. And then um, to walk away from it. Intellectually, I think maybe maybe I'm not that special. But then I was raised too long in it. Like, you know what? Maybe I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, it stays with you. You can run as fast as you want. It's still there. Huh. Well, Elizabeth writes, I believe that benevolent things like angels exist as much as ghosts, perhaps protecting, guiding, or being a good force. I also love the idea of thin places in Irish culture, a closeness to heaven or another world beyond Another listener writes, I've read about how super low sound frequencies can cause a feeling of dread and vibrate the eye where it will cause a cloudiness of peripheral vision that may look like an apparition. <laughs> so you're Explain away. You're Explain away. I, I take here. it. Yeah. More with Glenn Washington after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Glenn Washington this hour, host and executive producer of the podcast Spooked. You probably know him from Snap Judgment. We're talking, though, on this Friday the 13th about spirits and stories that make us question what we think we know. Superstitions, maybe, that you hold, that you follow, and you don't even know why. Ghost stories that you've been told that you pass down or that may reflect our deepest fears or most unanswerable questions, which point to why we may find these kinds of stories valuable in our culture. You, our listeners, are sharing if you've ever had something happen to you that you couldn't explain about a time when you got spooked, cultural superstitions you observe or believe in or your own relationship to the supernatural, the value that you find in such things. The sister writes, I remember visiting my relatives in Mexico as a kid and hearing everyone tell ghost stories or stories about seeing the devil. Those stories really traumatized me. I was afraid I would encounter an evil spirit anytime I was alone. Eventually, I grew out of that fear. Nonetheless, ghost stories weren't always scary. My mom told the story of visiting a friend's home when she was a child and saw a woman dressed in black pointing to a spot in their patio. My mom fainted from the sight, but later she learned that the family found some buried money in that very spot. Nice. <laughs> this was in the time before people used banks and would hide money. Ooh, Fantastic. I need that kind of supernatural experience. <laughs> Let me go to Sophia in Albany. Hi, Sophia. You're on. Oh, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. I have a story that happened about 10, 15 years ago. My twin sister and I were traveling uh, in Europe. And we were in Vienna in Austria, staying in the, uh, all the hotels are old, obviously. Um, and we were sleeping right next to each other, kind of European style. And she got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and it woke me up. And so I was like, oh, you know, I see the light on. She comes back to bed and I close my eyes and I see this person like in my mind's eye. It's dark in the room. He's not, you know, you open your eyes and not there. But in your mind's eye, I see this evil, evil person like a man in the like right-hand corner of the room. Mm. And so I just closed my eyes back again, and I said, get out of here, leave immediately, you know. I don't believe in these things, but I thought maybe <laughs> that would work. So it did. So the next morning, we're having breakfast. And I said, oh, you know, why did you wake me up last night? And she said, oh, I have this really bad dream. And I was like, what, what was your dream? She's like, well, there was this guy in our room, and he was really evil. <laughs> I swear to you, this is true. And um, I said, where was he in the room? And she's like, he was in that corner. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So then she got really scared. And I was like, it's okay. I told him to go away because we had to stay another night in that hotel. And so it never happened again. He didn't come back. But I can still see him in my mind and feel that, like, evilness. It was very strange. Oh, Sophia, so so scary. (laughs) It's okay. But you know what? He didn't come back. Tell him to leave. He didn't come back. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Glenn, I wanted to to ask you about, so one of the things that Sophia's story just did was, you know, especially when she said that her twin sister ended up seeing the same thing, right? Like, I got that reaction. We had our producers react in the studio. Talk about what makes a really good ghost story and how you recommend telling these kinds of stories for maximum effect. Um, boy, what makes a good ghost story? First, you got to have a good teller. And the person telling the story, I think we mentioned earlier, I can't have somebody who is a, is a big true believer who 
is went to the tarot card convention or whatever it may be. I need someone who, before I can um, get into a ghost story, I need to get into a person mm. and get an idea of where they're coming from. And oftentimes, uh, the uh, um, it's not enough. You know, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost here. I saw a ghost there. What I really want to know is what's going on. Because um, the manifestations that people experience, I want to understand why you're going to, th- these things are happening. Um, monsters come from somewhere. Um, these um, events often have really, really strong emotional resonance. What is going on with you that this thing is happening right now? And for me, it's not enough to, oh, I saw the thing. Then what? Did you decipher where it came from? What what it was trying to tell you? Like I said before, I think that um, the presence of an entity is often a mystery. And a story, any story, is about what you did. So what'd you do? How did you come to peace with, run from, help, um, dissuade this entity. I think those, you get all those elements together, I think you're going to have a, a nice little story. This listener writes, a year after my father died, I was walking in our neighborhood. I said to myself, I cannot believe it's been a year. Then I heard my father say, sweetheart, sometimes I can't believe it myself. So I conclude it takes a while to get used to another state of being. Do you think people tell ghost stories to to basically teach a lesson that a lot of times we use the fear to sort of get people to do something or stop doing something? Yeah, but I don't think it's just ghost stories we do that with. I think it's all kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, sin. Um, don't do this because of whatever it may be. We use narrative in order to shape people for sure um, and, and create these maps of the world. Um, and I, I think a lot of the thing about my favorite ghost stories is that they're kind of raw. That something happened, but they haven't yet been able to put the narrative gloss on it because they're, they're still processing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, one of the things in general in storytelling, and, and you know this from public radio, is that you you tell the story and then you say what the story means. I love the stories. Someone tells me a story and stops. Yes. I don't know what that means. Because, and, and that's a big thing about storytelling as well. One of the things that you learn is that we are meaning factories and we want to know what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And that's what our brain does. That's what human is. And if you tell someone a story and you tell them what it means, your brain goes, okay, got it. It stops. That's it. 
But if you tell them a story and you stop, mm. now that story's been transmitted and you're going to take that story. What does it mean? What's it mean? You're going to talk to your spouse, your teacher, your husband, who's going to be, what's it mean? What's it mean? Those are the best stories. Yeah. Though I imagine the fear um, element of a of a ghost story makes that particularly potent. I'm so struck by so many listeners saying, I never forgot it, right? There's just, it gets into some part of you that you cannot. That rawness, that yeah. realness. I don't want it to have been gone through a writer's workshop. Yeah. I want to hear how you feel about it. What happened? What's what do you take what are you taking away right now? Do you still go to that same spot anymore? Yeah. Do you still do that same thing? Um, do you believe the same way? Um, who else was there with you? Do they have the same experience you did? Do they have the same takeaway that you did? All that stuff goes into a great story. Let me go to caller Amanda and El Cerrito. Amanda, you're on. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate what Glenn just said because it very much relates to my story. So first of all, I'm a very, I'm pretty skeptical about this type of thing for sure. I would say I'm spiritual, but not overtly religious. Um, and I was 37 weeks pregnant um, in the early stages of my maternity leave and decided to go to our visit uh, to our local um, cemetery to visit some family that was buried there, just wanting them to maybe like, you know, feel the presence of my new baby and just see if that might help them to connect with him. Um, and it was happened to be Halloween. And, you know, you can see now that I, I'm not someone who believes in all this stuff. I thought, oh, have fun. You know, I'll go into on uh, to the cemetery and into the mausoleum um, on Halloween itself. And after entering the um, mausoleum itself, I felt a very palpable interest. I Like the word I would use didn't feel like, you know, necessarily negative or or um uh malicious in any way but just like this keen interest in my baby that made mm. the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and i used to go into this mausoleum as a kid you know obviously not pregnant at the time it was kind of creepy and fun and during this visit it was not creepy and fun and i like suddenly felt very like not okay and needed to leave immediately ended up dri driving home and didn't think anything of it. Um, but then a week later, I ended up having giving birth to my son. And um, we experienced a, a very traumatic birth when he was born. Um, we weren't sure that he was going to be okay, or if he was going to make it. Um, and ultimately, he did. But there were lots of, you know, a lot of trauma associated with that. And I think during that time uh, of processing the the birth and all that went down, I really started to revisit that memory and feel a lot of like guilt and shame around having gone to that space and feeling like it wasn't a big deal and and feeling like maybe that could have affected what happened. My brain was just clinging to, you know, something to explain this totally unexplainable trauma that I had gone through. Um, and now my son is thriving and my brain is now redefining that again of like, well, maybe the spirits weren't harming him or nothing bad happened. Maybe it was interest, you know, helping him to come out and survive that. So 
my brain has definitely revisited that several times. I've never gone back to that space. I feel terrified to go back there now. Um, but, you know, in the ways in which it's helped me and, and actually harmed me in trying to think through these periods of uncertain, uncertainty, it's been really, um, hmm. you know, interesting. Amanda, thanks for sharing that. This idea of things taking on different meaning, you know, as as things happen in your life, there's actually a listener comment that's related to that. Ryan writes, when I was 11, I had a continuing dream of an old woman, about 80 or so, sitting in my bedroom doorway, dressed in a floral pattern nightgown with a blank but engaged and a small bit of admiration look on her face, never saying anything, just seemed to watch me as I slept. I would confront her in my dreams, yelling at her out of fear of not knowing why she was there. The dream seemed to haunt me night in and night out. I checked in with my grandmother about this person, and as I described her, she told me the person I described sounded like my great-grandmother, someone who had passed well before I was born. It changed the perspective I had on the situation in my dream. So I stopped yelling at her in my dreams and was able to come to peace with her being there and let her know I love her. After that point... I never had the dream again. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Glenn Washington, hearing about your stories. There are so many interesting sort of descriptions of the moment when you never saw them again. And it feels so related to what you were saying about so many of these stories that we tell or these experiences that we have, have so much to do with whatever it is we're dealing with or that we're grappling with? Yeah. Um, you solve the mystery. Um, we, in a lot of cultures, think of shade, spirits, ghosts as a liminal state, a purgatory. And if you uncover what it was that they are there for and you understand what they're trying to say, then they have no longer any reason to be there. Yeah. And you do, you, you, it's what's the mystery? What do you want to solve here? Um, it's oftentimes one of the, the leading edges of, of uh, people's paranormal stories. Well, Lynn writes, kind of related to that, my antique grandfather's clock stopped exactly at the time of my husband's sudden death. A year later, when I moved from San Jose to Auburn, when I moved the clock to the spot it will be placed, it started to run again. You know, right? I don't know. You A year after somebody's death, sudden death, you move, there's... Marks a moment, maybe, of moving forward, and a clock starts running again. <laughs> I think there's something there. <laughs> Let me go to Van in Mountain View. Van, you're on. My grandfather's clock, it stood by the door. <laughs> so um, my most profound experience, I was home uh, on leave from the Army, and my neighbor asked me to swim out to this island in the middle of the Susquehanna River that was probably half a mile away. And Mike was three-quarters of the way out to this thing. I wasn't even halfway there, and I started to cramp up. And I said, oh, I'm 21 years old. This is it? And I was going to sink to the bottom. And 
a voice that I felt. Hmm. Masculine, calm voices. What's the matter, Van? Don't you remember what to do? And I did remember that I was supposed to lay on my back, backstroke, and massage the cramp. And I heard, right. So you only have to decide if you're going to go out to the island or turn back. And I call it, for just simplicity, the voice of God. But what I really believe that was, was one of those liminal spirits that have lost the ability to do anything sensory, but do have the ability to influence those of us that are here in the now and can. Hmm. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Well, then... And I'll... Uh, yeah. I'm so glad, essentially, that voice, whatever it was, saved your life. Right on. So, Glenn, we're coming up on the end of the show, but uh, what do you hope sharing these stories with, will do, or what have they done for you, even? Um, sharing the stories, number one, I hope that these stories particularly are their relationship uh, conversation starters. You learn so much about a person when you learn about their ghosts, when you learn about their monsters, when you learn about these types of histories because it's not the leading edge of what we talk to people about. When you hear these stories, someone is sharing a very intimate part of themselves with you. And it's an honor. It's a trust. And I love that these stories oftentimes from Spook catalyze that. Well, I am so happy that we got to share this hour. And I am also so happy to be connected to this incredible forum team, which includes Francesca Fenzi, who produced today's segment, Caroline Smith, Mark Nieto, Grace Swan, Marlena Jackson, Rotondo, Susie Britton, our lead producer, engineer Danny Bringer, Christopher Beale, Catherine Monahan and Brian Douglas, Jericho Reininger, Emiko Oda, Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our Chief Content Officer Holly Curtin. Happy Friday the 13th. Hope it is lucky, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to Forum. I'm Nina King. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.